Many of us are so reliant on our smartphones. We panic when the power starts to die. If only we were so passionate about keeping our churches charged up. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals what happens when a church disconnects from its power source, the Holy Spirit. From his series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, here's David to introduce today's message, The Dead Church. Well, today we move from the city of Thyatira and we move to the city of Sardis. Remember, the seven letters to the seven churches were letters to literal churches that existed during the time that John was in exile on the island of Patmos. As he as he was exiled there on that island, he could literally in his mind visualize these seven churches that were a circle around that island. And now he sees the church in Sardis. You know, there are many church buildings in America that are now being used as restaurants and art galleries and other businesses. One of the most um, amazing ones is the New York Gospel Tabernacle in New York City, which is now uh, John's Pizza Place, one of the largest pizza places in America. And uh, while they have good pizza there, every time I go there, I am saddened by the fact that it once was a church and now it's not. The question is, what happens to these churches? As the members of a church go, so go the churches. And many churches today are going out of business Who could have imagined that would happen? But it's not new, because as we're going to learn today, there were churches in the very beginning that died. One such church was the church in Sardis. We've called this the dead church. It's Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We'll get to that in just a moment, but since I have this book in my hands, let me remind you, you can get your copy of this book. All you have to do is send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of March. If all you do that, and if everybody keeps doing that, we'll be able to extend this ministry around the world and teach these prophetic truths everywhere. Uh, and we encourage you to help us. And when you do, we just want to help you and send encouragement to you and add value to your walk with Christ. This 463-page book will be a great asset to your library and a great blessing to your heart. It will unpack for you many of the mysteries of the prophetic word, and we're so excited to send it to you as our way of saying thank you for your investment in Turning Point. When you send your gift this month, be sure to ask for your copy of The Book of Signs. Let's open our Bibles now to Revelation 3 and find out what we can find out about this special church in Sardis. 700 years before John wrote this letter to the church, Sardis was one of the greatest cities in the world. It was situated in the midst of the valley of the river Hermus, and in that valley were the unusual spurs of the Timolus Mountains. On one of the spurs, 1,500 feet up, stood the original city of Sardis. The city itself was surrounded on three sides by huge walls, walls that were nearly perpendicular and almost unscalable. At the foot of the cliffs flowed the river Pactolus, and Sardis was famed for its strategic location. And because it was built upon this elevation that was defended on three sides by cliffs, and because on the fourth side it was approachable only by an isthmus so narrow that a handful of men could actually defend it against hundreds of people that were coming against it, the city of Sardis was considered to be impregnable. In other words, 
It was safe. Nobody could ever do anything to assault the city. It was totally okay. The greatest of the kings of Sardis was Croesus. And under the leadership of Croesus, Sardis achieved its greatest glory. Under his leadership also, Sardis plunged to disaster. And the story of how it happened is very instructive to what the Lord is going to say to this church. So let me give you a little bit of the history of how this took place. Although he had been warned against the danger of overconfidence and the resulting weakening of the nation, Croesus nevertheless embarked upon a war with Cyrus, king of Persia. And Croesus had to cross the river and took the counsel of a famous oracle at Delphi and was told, if you cross the river, you will destroy a great empire. In his pride, he thought that the empire that would be destroyed would be Persia. He never ever once thought that the empire that would be destroyed would be his own. And when Croesus met Cyrus and the Persian army on the other side of the Halos River, he was badly defeated and had to run home with his tail between his legs. Still, the proud king's heart was not troubled. I mean, after all, were they not untouchable in their fortress city? Cyrus was determined, however, to finish off the warriors of Sardis, and so he determined that he would siege this city until he figured out how he could destroy it. And for 14 days, his armies stood outside of the fortress city of Sardis. And then the king had an idea. He offered a reward to anyone who could find a way to get into the city of Sardis. This is a true story. This happened in history. A few days later, a Persian soldier named Herodes happened to be watching the fortress walls that surrounded the city. And he saw a soldier, a Sardian soldier, accidentally drop his helmet over the wall. And to his surprise, the soldier climbed down the precipice to retrieve the helmet. And now he knew there had to be a crack in the rock through which an agile man could crawl. That night, he led a party of Persian troops up the rocks, located the crack in the precipice, and after safely crawling through the rocks, found that the city was completely unguarded. And the Sardians were so sure of themselves, they did not even post a watch at night. It is said that even a child could have defended the city from this kind of attack, but not so much as one observer had been appointed to watch that side that was believed to be totally inaccessible. Herodes and his compatriots opened the gates into the city, and the Persian army took the city captive without so much as a minor skirmish. Centuries later, history repeated itself when Antiochus used the same approach to gain entrance into the city and take it captive. When John wrote his letter to Sardis, it was a wealthy but degenerate city. Twice they had lost their city because they were too lazy to watch. And the fact of history concerning the ancient city of Sardis is the key to understanding the letter that was written to the church that was located there. In other words, the history of the city is a picture of its spiritual downfall. Notice, first of all, the destination of the letter. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write. Sardis, as I've mentioned, is the fifth of the seven churches. And the word Sardis means escaping ones or those who come out. In the prophetic view of the churches that we are studying in the book of Revelation, Sardis represents the period of the Reformation. 
And if you know the Reformation, you know that during the Reformation, there were some who came out of the church and objected to what was going on in the Roman church. Some of those who escaped or came out of the state church were Luther and Knox and Wycliffe and Zwingli. Papal rule had reached intolerable conditions when October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, and Luther's voice was heard throughout Europe. He found many who responded, and they came out of the church as well. The city of Sardis, the church in Sardis, is a picture of the Reformation period. Now notice how the Lord designates himself in this letter, verse 1. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now remember, every one of these churches speaks about the Lord in a different way. In each of the churches, the Lord is described in a particular way that's significant to the situation in the church. For instance, in each of them, the spirit of God is operating. As we shall see later, the letter is making a point about the presence of the Holy Spirit. The death of the church in Sardis came about because they did not have the Holy Spirit in control of their assembly. Notice, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And what are the seven stars? One of the easiest things to ever discover in the book of Revelation because Revelation 1.20 says, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So here's what the Bible says. The Lord Jesus in this particular letter is identified as the one of the seven spirits. He is representing here by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to this church. Once again, the reason that you die is because your spirit is separated from your body. And the reason the church in Sardis died is because the Holy Spirit was removed from any kind of place of interest or influence in the church. Now notice in the first verse, the Lord Jesus begins his denunciation of the church. And he says to them, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. This letter of unmixed condemnation is a marked change from all of the previous letters. For the poor rich church in Smyrna, the Lord had nothing but words of praise. For the churches of Ephesus, Pergamos, and Thyatira, he had some words of praise and some words of condemnation. Their letters are a mixture of praise and criticism. But the church of Sardis, he has not one good thing to say about this church. There were a few in the church who he commends, but to the church as a whole, the Lord Jesus doesn't say anything good. It's the first time this has happened. It's very interesting, especially in light of the reputation that this church enjoyed. What was that reputation? They had a reputation that they were alive, that they were vibrant. But the Lord Jesus looked down beneath the veneer of their church and said, you aren't alive, you're dead. You're dead inside. It had a good reputation. But it is the first church in history that perhaps was filled with what we today call nominal Christians. People who said they were Christians, but were not. How many of you know that many of the denominational churches in our culture today, they're Christian in name only because the people who are in the church aren't Christians. They're not Christians because they go to the church or don't go to the church. They're not Christians because they've never received Jesus Christ as their savior. But they're in a Christian church and the church has a reputation of being a denominational church, and it's filled with people who don't know Jesus. How can you be a church and not know the Lord of the church? Sardis appeared to be alive, and it was dead. 
And the Lord is never impressed by the attractiveness of a well-kept mausoleum. Because he knows that inside that mausoleum are the bones of dead men. The works of the Sardian church members were slick grave clothes, which provided a thin disguise for the corpse. Jesus saw this same defect in the Pharisees. According to his words, they gave alms, they said prayers, they disfigured their faces when they fasted so that men would know how spiritual they were. He saw through all of that and recognized that they did what they did to be seen by men. And he condemned their hypocrisy in the scathing words of Matthew 23, 27, and 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's a very good description of what was going on in the church in Sardis. Outwardly, it was a fine church with a reputation, but inwardly, when you got into the reality of the church itself, it was a church that had no life. The Holy Spirit was not involved in this church. It was full of people who made professions of faith, but had no reality of faith at all. My friend Charles Swindoll loves to play around with stuff like this, and he wrote these words. He said, don't go to that church, it's dead. What exactly does that mean? Maybe it means their sanctuary is a morgue with a steeple. It's a congregation of corpses with undertakers for ushers, embalmers for elders, and morticians for ministers. They sing embalmed in Gilead, an amazing grave and how sweet the ground. You might describe their worship as stiff. At the rapture, they'll be the first churches taken up because the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. They drive to church in one long line with their headlights on. Whenever someone joins their membership, the church office immediately notifies the next of kin. Each week they put an ad in the obituary. The church van is a black hearse and the church sign is a tombstone. Their motto is, many are cold and a few are frozen. And that's a dead church. Well, it's kind of humorous to say that, but a church that appears to be something outwardly and inwardly isn't what it's supposed to be, isn't funny, is it? And many times you and I run into things like that. We maybe have friends that go to churches like that. They started out in these churches years ago when they were fundamental, and over the years they've slipped away from the things of God, and they've just become sort of a social organization where there's no spiritual life whatsoever. Now the Lord Jesus directs this church, and the direction he gives to the church is in verses 2 through 4. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. And therefore if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Now, as you read that paragraph, let me unpack it for you real quickly. To this dead church, Jesus Christ gives five exhortations. Number one, the first one is, be sensitive to the inroads of sin in the church. Revelation 3, 2, be watchful. The Greek word for watchful conveys the idea of someone who is intent upon something. It literally comes from two words which mean to chase sleep. 
In other words, he's saying to the people in this church, if you want to maintain your vibrancy in the church, you better stay awake. It's no time to go to sleep in the culture in which we live, in the church. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And Christ is not just saying to the church that it should wake from its death sleep. He is calling upon them to remain awake and to keep watch as a watchman who is responsible for the safety of a sleeping army. This is a call to continued alertness. And the first step toward renewal in a dying church is honest awareness that something is wrong and a commitment to protect it from further decay. And if you ever run into someone who's in a church, and I met many friends over the years who say, I know my church is dying, I know it's dead, and I feel like I should stay in there and do my best to try to help, and I can't condemn them for doing that. I don't know what to say to a person like that. Sometimes I've said, well, if you can stay and make a difference, that's okay, but if you find the church is making a difference in you, then you probably better get out. But there are many people who find themselves in historic churches where their parents and their grandparents went. The church at one time was a lighthouse with a fundamental testimony, and they cared about the lost, and they cared about missions. But over a period of time, their life has ebbed away until now. It's just an outward shell, and nothing real is going on on the inside. So churches die like that. They die spiritually because, here's the first thing, they allow doctrinal error to slip into the membership. So in the church in Sardis, what happened was they had no restrictions. If you came to church there, perhaps the first Sunday you walked on the property, you could start teaching. And little by little, doctrinal error began to slip into the church until after a while, they had no creed whatsoever. It was whoever and whatever and the church was dead. Be sensitive to the inroads of sin in the church. Here's the second exhortation. Be supportive of those who remain true to Christ in the church. The second verse says, strengthen the things which remain and are ready to die, but they haven't died yet. Verse four says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Here we see the way of the few and the way of the many. There is never a day so dark but that God has his stars, his men. For instance, in the antediluvian period, God had righteous Enoch and righteous Noah. In the days of universal idolatry, there was Abraham of Ur and of the Chaldees, and even in Sodom, there was Lot. Christ is literally saying to this church, you have some who have not yet capitulated to the times. They are the faithful remnant. And his instruction to the church is to strengthen those faithful few and encourage them. He goes on to say that those who have not yet soiled their clothes will walk with Jesus dressed in white. Jesus is presumably promising here that his followers who have not polluted themselves with the paganism of their culture will participate in the new Jerusalem and the dwelling of God. What he is saying to the church is this. Be sensitive to the inroads of sin in your church. Be careful. Stand at the door and don't let it in the front door. And number two, be supportive of those who are in the church who are still remaining true. What usually happens in a church is those who remain true are persecuted because they are standing for the word of God. How many times I've had people tell me that they've had audiences with the pastors of their church and the pastors have told them, you've got to quit doing this Bible stuff in your home. You've got to quit teaching the Bible in this class. That is not who we are anymore. And so there's a tendency 
not to encourage those who remain true, but to discourage them and to keep them from being who God wants them to be. Here's the third exhortation. Be submissive to the control of the Holy Spirit in the church. He says in verse 3, Remember therefore how you have received and heard. This instruction takes us back to the designation of the Lord as the one who has the seven spirits of God. When Christ challenges this church to remember how they received and heard, he is reminding them of the importance of the Holy Spirit. Every believer receives and hears the same way, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Just as physical death is the result of the separation of the Spirit from the body, so spiritual death is the result of the separation of the Holy Spirit from the body of Christ, which is the church. And once again, we need to remember that a church dies when the Spirit is no longer allowed to have control in the church, when the Spirit of God becomes an absentee Spirit of God. John Stott who is now with the Lord, one of the great expositors of our generation, said, We administer great projects and we create impressive committees, but we often leave the Holy Spirit out. He has rightly been called the forgotten member of the Trinity. Only when the Church of Christ is filled with the Spirit of Christ can spiritual death be banished and a name for life have any reality behind it. If you go to a church and the Spirit of God is not present, that church is either dead or it's in the process of dying. Let me tell you what I've observed, and I don't know that this is an absolute rule, but if you visit around in churches, maybe someday you'll move and you'll have to go to a new place and try to find where to go to church, the first thing you should watch is this. How do these people worship the Lord? Do they do so in a dead, ritualistic way, or is there vibrancy and life in their worship? I'm not talking about the style of worship. That's a whole different deal. But when you walk into a church that really knows how to worship, the first thing you realize is the Holy Spirit is alive and well in this body because it's the Holy Spirit who causes us to worship the Lord. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? For us to glorify God. And what is worship? It is glorifying God. And when the Holy Spirit is alive in the church, you can tell by the worship of the people. That's usually the first sign. When my son was a student in Boone, North Carolina, he used to call home routinely and complain about the churches. And he would say, today I went to a church where they taught the Word of God and the music was terrible. And the next week he would call up and say, this week I went to a church, they have really great music and the preaching was awful. Dad, why can't they get it right? Why can't they get a church where the music is alive and the Spirit of God is being expressed and they teach the Word of God? That's the combination that God blesses. And when you allow either one of those to be thrown out for reasons nobody will ever be able to explain to me, then the church begins the slow death that we have watched in so many churches in our culture today. Well, you know, this letter to Sardis is so provocative and it's so, um, so up to date. Um, I remember seeing some statistics from the Southern Baptist Convention about how many churches were going out of business each year. And I'm glad I can't remember the number because it was very depressing. It's amazing to see what's happening in our culture and all the more reason why we should stand guard over the life of our churches and make sure we do everything we can to keep the fire burning and the, the gospel central and people coming to Christ and 
you know, as we do that, God is honored and, and the church will stay alive. I'm convinced that at the center of every church, there has to be an open Bible, not just open on the pulpit, but opened to the people every week. There is nothing that this world needs more today than the teaching of God's Word, and yet it seems to be being marginalized every time you turn around, and that's why so many churches are closing their doors. Let's maintain a commitment, brothers and sisters, that we will keep our churches alive as we keep the Word of God central. We'll talk about it some more when we get together on Monday. I hope you're having a good week and you're looking forward to the weekend. Uh, More and more, I'm so excited when I see the weekend coming because we're going to church and we're having huge crowds at Shadow Mountain and just a great spirit of renewal in our hearts and uh, the Church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. Never more needed than right now. Get to your church and be a part of the solution as we move forward. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend, friends. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's informative book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions. Available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue The Seven Churches of Revelation, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and Seven Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. It has often been said that it is easy to be wise after the fact. But I have found, and the Bible confirms, that not everyone is wise after the fact. Not everyone's hindsight is twenty twenty. There are people who refuse to learn from their experiences. 
The book of Proverbs calls such people fools. I know that's a harsh-sounding word, but a serious one, morally speaking. A fool is someone who rejects wise counsel or who refuses to learn from mistakes, refuses to grow in wisdom when life has taught him a lesson. When life issues a correction, the wise person gladly embraces the opportunity to grow. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to become wise on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.